The past two weeks in our Lenten study, we've been looking at Old Testament passages from First and Second Samuel. The stories of David as the shepherd boy who conquered the giant Goliath, and King David, who had to be confronted by the prophet Nathan when he tried to sweep his mistakes under the rug. But today, as we're looking at these Old Testament passages to prepare us for Lent, for Easter, we're backing up to the first book of the Bible. We're backing up to the book of Genesis. And we're looking at the ninth chapter, verses 12 through 17, where it reads, God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. It's a short passage. It's probably, for many, an odd choice for Lent. But to properly understand what this passage means, why this passage can prepare us for Holy Week, for the Last Supper, for the cross, and for the tomb, we have to back up to look at what comes before, before we can look forwards. The book of Genesis we know that in the first two chapters, we, we catch a glimpse of, of God calling all things into being. Of God hanging the stars in the sky, of, of molding the earth and, and molding the universe. But then more than that, God creating people. And not just creating us as some type of project for fun. But we see God creating us with this longing to be in relationship. We see the reminder that comes throughout scripture that when God created us, that God formed us in his image. That in each and every one of us, God placed the capacity for us to do good to show love that God placed within us the ability to reflect his likeness to others. That God created us and called us good. But then we come to Genesis 3 of Adam and Eve in the garden and the serpent appearing and convincing them to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
when they eat the fruit, when they realize that they've sinned against God, there's this shame that overcomes them, and they go and they hide until God has to call them out of hiding. And we begin to then hear about the consequences of sin. course, nothing probably could have prepared Adam and Eve for what came next in Genesis 4. But their sons, Cain and Abel, as their son Cain murdered his brother out of jealousy. And unfolding continuously in scripture, we would continue to see the consequences of sin. And then when we get to Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6, it's probably one of my least favorite passages of Scripture. Because in Genesis 6, 5 and 6, we encounter God regretting that he had even made humankind in the first place. That his heart is so so much in so much pain and seeing the effects that sin is bringing upon people and creation. And then in, in Genesis 6 through up until this passage through 9, we see the story of the flood. A response from God to human sinfulness. Often when we visit the story of the flood, we see this, right? It's cute. It makes us happy when we see it. Often when we visit the story of Noah and the flood, we think of the ark. We think of the animals. We think of God's faithfulness to Noah and his family. But as we grow up, and as we revisit this story, we can start to see beyond the ark. We can start to see the animals and the people who didn't make it on the ark. As we grow up, the story can become a little scary, a little sad. It can give us a lot of questions Because one of the questions that I often came back to as I started to see this story differently was what has changed in human nature before the flood and after the flood? What has changed in people in history that's so different Because this is a response from God to sinfulness. Because we we can just look at scripture. We can look at the passage immediately following today's passage. And again, sin enters the world. We see it in our history books. We see it in our world today. The marks that sin has brought upon creation and humanity. 
what has changed? What makes this story one for us to concentrate on? thing is, the thing that can make this story not so scary is today's passage where we encounter God seemingly regretting the flood, where we encounter God promising that never again will a flood be his response to our sinfulness. That never again will a flood come to destroy. This covenant, this promise that God made, Scripture says, fully aware that the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth, fully aware that in our very nature, that always a part of our story is our sinfulness, that God made this promise to not just Noah, but to all people, that this would not be his response to us. This promise that God made without any requirement from us. That God made. Because when he formed us, he called us good. Because he formed us and called us into being and called us his own and put upon us his mark. God made this promise. This covenant that reminds us that that God is not going to give up on us. Not even in the face of our sins, our mistakes. That God isn't going to... That God isn't going to start over. We can look at this story and be reminded because of this covenant that we don't have to be afraid of God. Often in our world and in our culture, we can hear some language that tries to strike fear into us to believe. I think we've all encountered that. But the covenant, the rainbow, the promise that God makes with us is a promise that gives us hope, that reminds us that God isn't giving up on us, but that God is going to try anything to save us from ourselves. As Christians, we stand in the knowledge of what God's ultimate response is to our sinfulness. We stand in the knowledge of what God's response was from the very beginning. That God's choice when he 
when he is faced with our sinfulness, isn't to start over. Isn't to destroy us. But God's response is to offer us himself. That God's response is to give us himself as a gift, as a sacrifice. That somehow the creator of the universe, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, would deem us, would deem us worthy enough knowing every sin would deem us worthy enough to step into time, to take on flesh. To be born a baby, to grow into a man. Born to carry a cross. Born for our sins and our mistakes. God's response to us was always to give us himself. So that we can know, that we could be reminded when we look in the mirror, not to judge ourselves by our sins, but to judge ourselves as who God has made us. To be reminded every time that God's response has been to make a way for us to be made clean. When Jesus came, he faced sin. He saw the invisible and visible marks upon creation, upon people. He saw it and, and he suffered because of sin. Even in the face of betrayal, even in the face of being made into a joke, in the face of being beaten and spit on, Still, he chose. He chose a cross as God's ultimate response to heal us. Still, he chose to carry every single one of our sins so that not a single one could stand.
That's why we gather around this table today and remember how at the Last Supper that Jesus took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body that I will break for you to know healing. I remember how he took the cup and said, this is my blood, my love that I'll pour out for you and for all people to know the forgiveness of sins. Every time we revisit the story of Noah and the flood and as we grow up and as we start to see beyond the ark, may we not allow fear to hold us back from our God when we are reminded of our own sinfulness. But instead, may we, when we revisit this covenant, this promise from God, may we remember God's ultimate response to us. To make a way that our God stands with arms wide open, just waiting for us to come to him. to come and accept his invitation for forgiveness, to come and accept his invitation to know a living Lord. May the covenant always remind us that God is for us, that his response is always for our good and for the love of us, that we We don't have to let our mistakes hold us back in fear. But we just have to lay them at his feet. And know that he has already done the work on our behalf. And so it's it's to you, O Lord, we turn this day confident of who you are and what you have done for us. As we just ask, O Lord, that you pour out your spirit upon these gifts of bread and wine and upon us gathered here. May this be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Make us one in ministry with you and one in ministry with one another until Christ returns and we all feast at his heavenly banquet. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. As the servers come forward who are helping to serve communion, I just want to take this opportunity to remind everyone that this table doesn't belong to anyone. That this table is the Lord's table and that anyone can come. You don't have to be a member of this church or any church to come. You just need to come seeking to encounter Christ. When you come forward, you'll be invited to place your offering and sign-in sheets in the baskets. And then when you come up, you'll be offered a piece of gluten-free bread.
and then you'll be given the chance to dip it in the cup. Blood of Christ poured out for you. Blood of Christ poured out for you. Blood of Christ poured out for you. But in a moment, as the worship team comes forward to be served, I'm going to ask everyone to remain seated and wait for them to begin playing. But as we wait, if you have a child in the nursery or children's church, I'm going to invite you to go get them. But more importantly, as we wait, I invite us to sit in and remember God's response to us, but to begin to think about what our response will be in return in our lives how ultimately will we choose to respond? So may we sit in that and begin to think.